Thanks very much, Becky. If my very helpful volunteers would like to come forward, I've got some friends to help me with the reading today, but I could do with some more help as well. So if there are any children in the room who want a bit of stage time and want to come and act the disciples waiting in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit, then come forward and we can get you in this house here, which as you can see is a mock-up of a typical first century house in Jerusalem. So come on up. Where's my prophet Joel? Has he already arrived? Here he is. Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to, to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, "Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language?" Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and all the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Somehow, somehow made, some, however, made fun of them and said they had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. Is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I'll pour out my spirits on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on the servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days, and they'll prophesy. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to God accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God has raised Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. 
God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut out to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter Repent. replied, oh. <laughs> Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and pleaded them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their numbers that day. So, the Holy Spirit helps us to see the truth about Jesus and tell others. That's our key message for today. And so the first point that we get from that, the first lesson for us to learn is the Holy Spirit always points to Jesus. If you think back to our reading, when the Holy Spirit arrived, people had this great experience, didn't they? There was a sound of rushing wind and there were these tongues of fire, these flames of fire that came to rest on each of them. But people didn't really talk about that. They weren't like, what's this wind and what's this fire? They started talking about Jesus, particularly Peter, who preached that long sermon about Jesus, uh, so ably acted by Catherine there. Now, I think our activity shows that quite nicely, because when Ava started describing the object, you weren't all kind of like paying attention to Ava, like looking around the screen to try to see Ava. You weren't sort of thinking to yourself, I wonder who's behind the screen. You knew who it was. You were all concentrating on the object being described. And when the Holy Spirit arrived, Peter said to the crowd, this is the Holy Spirit. Now let me describe to you Jesus. And they all paid attention to the thing, the person who was described, not the Holy Spirit who was doing the describing. Now, we didn't read all of Peter's message because it's quite long. But even in the bit we read, we see it's pretty clear that Jesus is the center of attention. So let me read a few bits. Uh, Peter said, Jesus of Nazareth, was handed over to you, and you put him to death by nailing him on a cross. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. One more. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, so you can see that Jesus is the center of attention. So, today... There's one sign where you can be absolutely sure the Holy Spirit is at work. And that is a sincere interest in Jesus and an understanding of who Jesus was and what he came to do. If you're genuinely interested in who Jesus was and why he came, that's the Holy Spirit starting to work in you. And if you believe everything Peter said about Jesus... And everything the Bible teaches about him, and maybe you've joined yourself to the Christian faith through baptism, then the Holy Spirit is not only starting to work with you, but lives inside you. Paul wrote to the Christians in Corinth, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? It's the place where the Holy Spirit lives. He lives in you, and he was given to you by God. So, people worry. They think, if uh, the Holy Spirit, this you know, third person of the Trinity, a powerful God is coming to live in me, shouldn't I be able to feel more? Shouldn't I be able to experience more? 
What does it feel like to have the Holy Spirit living in me? But the Holy Spirit always draws attention away from himself and points us to Jesus. So even the smallest amount of faith in you that says, yeah, you know what? I believe what I'm hearing about Jesus. That is the Holy Spirit working inside you. So the Holy Spirit always points to Jesus. Let me show you how freely God wants to give his Holy Spirit. This is the second lesson. The Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost and is still being poured out today. As I mentioned, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So he's not literally poured out. This is drawing a picture for us, isn't it? Think of um, a waterfall. The Holy Spirit is, is coming down like a huge waterfall when before in the Old Testament, it had been like a droplet here and a droplet there. You know, King David, a droplet of the Holy Spirit. Uh, maybe one of the prophets, a droplet of the Holy Spirit. And then at Pentecost, rush, and the Holy Spirit was poured out on all believers. So the Holy Spirit wants to make his home in every single person in this room. Let me show you from our reading how we reach that conclusion. First of all, do you remember uh, when Henry was narrating the story one of the signs was a rushing wind to show the power of God present. But then another sign was these little flames of fire that came to rest on every single person in the room. And the flames rested on everybody. They didn't just pick Peter and say, you know what, Peter's going to be the main spokesperson here. We're going to fill Peter with the Holy Spirit so he can do the job. No, everyone got a little flame. So let me read that bit. When the day of Pentecost came... They were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the house where they, were sit where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Now, the tongue of fire shows God's presence, okay? So think back to the burning bush, Moses. Moses approaches this bush that's on fire. The fact that the bush is on fire is supposed to show us God is here. It's a symbol, okay? Think of the pillar of fire leading the Israelites through the wilderness when they came out of Egypt. Again, it was a symbol of God's presence. But the burning bush was only seen by one person, and that was Moses. And although lots of people saw the pillar of fire... It came to rest when it stopped over the tabernacle, which was not accessible to everyone. So everyone was kept at a distance from God, effectively. God's special presence was just for the leaders and the priests and not for everyone else. But on Pentecost, the fire came to rest on everybody. So each one of you in this room, there were about 120 people in the house, maybe about 120 people in here. Each one of you would have got a little flame because God wants to live in each one of you today. The second thing that shows us that God wants to pour out his Holy Spirit and flood this whole room with, with him is Joel's prophecy. Chris um, emerged from behind the screen and told us Joel's prophecy. And when I read it again, you'll see that it can't really say clearly enough that God wants to give his Holy Spirit to everyone. This isn't just for like one or two special people. Joel prophesied 
In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Not just the leaders and the prophets like King David, as in the past. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Young, everyone who's young. Your old men will dream dreams. Old. Even on my servants, both, both men and women, men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So old, young, men, women, everyone can receive the Holy Spirit. And I think that's a great message for an all-age service. We're all in here together. 120 little flames of fire came to rest on each of them. I don't know the age of all the people in that room. Maybe some young, some old, but everyone got one. And thirdly, the promise at the end of Peter's sermon shows that God wants to pour out his Holy Spirit on every single one of us in this room today. Our reading says, Peter was preaching and he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will. That's a promise. So it's easy to receive the Holy Spirit. You don't have to be super spiritual. Peter says, repent. In other words, don't turn your back on God, but turn towards him and say, God, I've done things wrong. I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong, but I want to turn towards you and not run away from you. And Peter says, be baptized, which shows you've joined yourself to the Christian church. You're saying, I want to follow Jesus. You believe that Jesus is Lord and that he died and rose again and you want to follow him. Now, Chris mentioned earlier that we've got a baptism service being planned. And if you haven't been baptized, then why not take the opportunity to say, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to join the church and be baptized this summer. So I hope from these three things, the flames, Joel's prophecy, and Peter's promise, you can see that today God doesn't want to keep you away. He doesn't want to keep anyone at arm's length. He wants to come and live inside you. He wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. God flooded the world with his spirit so that we in the UK today could become part of uh, God's family and be filled with his spirit. So let me recap. We've got the Holy Spirit points to Jesus. The Holy Spirit was poured out. You can all be part of this. And let me bring those two things together in my last point. The Holy Spirit is the life of the worldwide church. Earlier this week, scientists found the largest plant on Earth. Did anyone see that in the news? Can anyone remember how big it was? There were lots of different units of measurement, so I might not have the same figure as you. But um, it's, a, it's a seagrass off the coast of Australia, and it's 77 square miles. One plant. That's massive. That's the size of 20,000 football fields, apparently. That plant is definitely alive. It would have to be to grow like that. And when I say that the Holy Spirit is the life of the church, that's true in a lot of ways, but I'm saying that the Holy Spirit is the one who makes the church grow. And it's through nothing more than each of us telling people about Jesus. But, you know, we don't have any power to change what people think. I could go and tell people out in Bulldog about Jesus. They might not necessarily believe me, but some will, and that's because the Holy Spirit is doing the growing. The Holy Spirit is causing the church to grow. Ten days before Pentecost, Jesus said this. 
to his disciples. He said, do not leave Jerusalem. Wait in the house. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, like a tree. Starts just small in Jerusalem, then moves out to Judea, then Samaria, then to the ends of the earth, and here we are in the UK today. We are the ends of the earth. So basically, I'm coming back around to the main point of this sermon, which is the Holy Spirit helps us see the truth about Jesus and tell others. It's as simple as that. Now, do you remember Peter's long sermon from our reading? Catherine was Peter here. Peter was confident. He had the Bible at his fingertips. He was quoting, <coughs> excuse me, the prophet Joel off the top of his head. How many of us in this room, if I said to you, could you just quote Joel for me? How many could do it? Nice. Down here at the front. Great. <laughs> so Peter just had the Bible at his fingertips. The Holy Spirit had given him confidence to tell others about Jesus. He said to thousands of people, God made this Jesus whom you crucified Lord and Messiah. What confidence it must take to do that. That's a strong and clear statement. But let me read to you what Peter was like a little over a month before Pentecost. This is from Luke's Gospel. Luke wrote the book of Acts as well, which describes the Pentecost. This is what Peter was like. So we read, Then seizing Jesus, they led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. And Peter followed at a distance. And some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, and Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked at him closely and said, This man was with Jesus. But Peter denied it. Woman, I do not know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You're also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter responded. And about an hour later, another said, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. So that's Peter. He's a bit like us, you know, I take a lot of comfort from Peter's life. He didn't get things right all the time. And here he is, three opportunities to say, yeah, I know that man over there and I follow him. I follow Jesus. And instead he says, I do not know that man. And we also were told that he was swearing and cursing, like, I do not know that man. I'm not even from Galilee, even though his rich Galilean accent was coming through. So I take, I take comfort from the fact that Peter got things wrong and yet here he is. He's speaking to thousands of people. Maybe God doesn't call us to do this like he called Peter to do it. But Peter is speaking to thousands of people saying, God made this Jesus whom you crucified, Lord and Messiah. And 3,000 people believed what he said. That wasn't Peter, that was the Holy Spirit. So let's pray three things. Let's pray for opportunities to share the good news about Jesus. Let's pray for Peter's confidence and clarity when the moment comes, because we need the Holy Spirit for that, don't we? 
And let's pray for the Holy Spirit to give faith to those who hear the message. Three things for us to pray. The Holy Spirit helps us see the truth about Jesus and tell others. Now, there were so many more things I wanted to say about this reading, but I had to limit myself to just one thing as we finish. And this is turning up the difficulty level a bit. Some of you have seen in my sermons in the past, I've got like green for easy and then yellow for a bit harder and red. This is kind of red, maybe a bit off the scale. But stick with me because I want to answer the question, what is Pentecost? What does that mean? What does the word Pentecost mean? And why did the Holy Spirit arrive at Pentecost? Our reading starts with the word, words, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, I hope you'll see that there was no better day for the Holy Spirit to arrive than the day of Pentecost. It was all part of God's plan. So, firstly, Pentecost was like a Jewish festival. Fireworks. When the Jews traveled from far and wide to be in Jerusalem. Which is why there was such a big crowd there who spoke all different languages. And that in itself is a great reason for the Holy Spirit to come at Pentecost. Because... If you want the message to get out there quickly, then tell a lot of people in their own languages and let them go home and spread the message. So, great reason. In one day, 120 believers became over 3,000 because of that, just because everyone was in Jerusalem on that day. So it was a festival. What was it a festival for? Well, Pentecost is a Greek word which literally means 50th. So if anyone in here, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if anyone in here is 49, your next birthday will be your Pentecost, your 50th. That's all it means. And it was a harvest celebration on the 50th day after the first fruits had been gathered in. So, you know, you've been out with your sickle and you've cut down some of your first fruits and 50 days later, you're celebrating the harvest. This is what uh, God caused Moses to write about it in the law of, of Moses. Count off seven weeks from the time you began to put the sickle to the standing grain. Seven weeks, how many days in a week? Seven, seven sevens, 49, plus one, 50, 50th. So this is also called the Feast of Weeks because it's, it's a week of weeks, seven sevens. Okay, sorry, I got distracted there. Count off seven weeks from the time you began to put the sickle to the standing grain. Then celebrate the Festival of Weeks to the Lord your God by giving a free will offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name, that's Jerusalem. You, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites in your towns and the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows living among you. This is a time that brings everyone together, a bit like Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and everyone got a little flame. So Pentecost was a harvest celebration and Jesus used the metaphor of a harvest for people believing the message and being brought into his kingdom. Do you remember that? He said things like, uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So pray that the Lord will send more workers into the harvest, bringing people in. And here on Pentecost, there was a harvest of 3,000 people who believed. Now, in the old days, preachers would have described that as a great harvest of souls, which I think is a bit creepy, but that is, um, what, that is what it is, okay? A great harvest of people who have been brought into the kingdom, a great harvest of souls. But more specifically, Pentecost was a harvest celebration on the 50th day after the first fruits had been gathered in. Now, now let's see, what happened 50 days before Pentecost? 
So let's see. The, the disciples have waited in the house for about 10 days, shall we say? And um, before that, about 40 days before, uh, was the Passover. And on that particular day, Jesus was crucified. And then what happened on the Sunday after Jesus was crucified? Jesus rose again from the dead. That is, in fact, what happened exactly 50 days before Pentecost. So Sunday, Jesus rises from the dead. And do you know what Paul calls that in 1 Corinthians? He calls that the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus rising from the dead is the first of many people who are going to rise from the dead. He is the first fruits. That's the celebration. 50 days later, we have Pentecost, this harvest festival where 3,000 people believe the message and received eternal life. Is that making sense so far? First fruits, 50 days later, Pentecost. And as if that symbolism wasn't enough, both the resurrection of Christ and Pentecost both happened on a Sunday, which is the day after the Jewish Sabbath. Now, the Jewish, for the Jewish people, the Sabbath was a very holy day. It was the Saturday. And it meant an awful lot. So a lot of things they did that were special and holy took place on the Sabbath. Except you've got this celebration at Pentecost, which happens on a Sunday, the first day of the week. And we're supposed to cast our minds back to Genesis and think of the first day of the week as beginning a new start. It's a new beginning, a new creation. So there's um, lots about this. If we were talking about the resurrection of Christ, and maybe we'll do this one time at Easter, you can see in there how Jesus rising from the dead on the first day of the week is supposed to point forward to a new creation. It's a new beginning. And now the Holy Spirit would begin that great harvest of people into the kingdom on the first day of the week, not on the Jewish Sabbath, because this is a new creation, a new beginning. And the Holy Spirit would continue that harvest to the present day and beyond. We are all part of this new creation that started on that day. Now, that harvest is carrying on today. Let me just bring this back to the main point of the sermon. Through nothing more than this, the Holy Spirit helps us see the truth about Jesus and tell others. This is how the new creation is happening today. And so, let me finish by just praying um, and thanking God that he's made us part of a new creation. We are part of that harvest, and one day it will be completed. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that when you rose from the dead, you were the first fruits of many who would rise from the dead. Thank you that 50 days later, a harvest celebration took place when 3,000 people were added to your kingdom. And thank you that today that harvest continues as we are added to the kingdom and as one day we will rise from the dead and we will be in the presence of Christ forever as part of that new creation. So please help us to be excited about Pentecost and what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives today, pointing us to Jesus, helping us to believe the truth about him and tell others. Amen.